0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Planning People, the anime podcast. In the wake of the pension freedoms, uh, the retirement and savings industry has been accused of failing to innovate to provide savers with income solutions in old age. And now, of course, more than ever, this this issue overlaps with the UK's longevity. According to the ONS, 18% of the UK population was aged over 65 in 2017, with 2.4% aged over 85. So we're all getting older and with that comes the question of how we should fund our time in later life. So perhaps it's no surprise that some people who are property and asset rich are looking to equity release to pay for their lifestyles. So here to discuss all that and more with me is Charles McCready, who is Strategic Director of Policy at Teaser. Charles, welcome. You join us hot off the heels of a rebrand uh, that saw Teaser change its name, sort of. Um, start us off by telling w- telling me what that's all about.
1: Yeah, thanks, Ollie. So the rebrand is is really about the fact that we are um evolving as an organization we're a lot more strategically focused than we used to be mm-hmm. and as a result of that we thought that the old uh, acronym was inappropriate so we've now changed that to the investment and savings alliance and we think that's a far better description of what we do for our members
0: cool uh, take note everyone the the name has changed from teaser to teaser to teaser um but good i like i kind of like that it's sort yeah. of like you know a bit of change bit of a uh, bit of continuity like the more that it lot.
1: changes the more it stays the same as they say
0: Plus la même chose. Um, We're here to discuss equity release, of course, but first it falls to me to subject you to a process that has been described as ritualistically humiliating, sordid and very good fun by its critics. That was a lie, we don't have any critics. Uh, I am, of course, talking about the weekly Rock Hard Quiz, Charles, which this week, dun-dun-dun, is all about releases specifically music and product releases. So are you ready to take a trip down memory lane for five questions on those two things? Let's do it. Excellent. Uh, Now, are you a fan of the Arctic Monkeys? I've heard
1: a few of their songs. Uh,
0: Because their debut album shifted over 360,000 copies in the first week of its release way back in 2006 and remains, actually, the fastest-selling debut album by a band in British music history. And if you ask, anecdotally, if you ask Charles, our news editor, he'll tell you that it's the only album he's ever bought that he actually had to, like, look for because it was sold out everywhere. Um, It's a record-breaker. But which 90s band, and think back to the 90s, Held that accolade before they were knocked off the top spot by the Sheffield four piece. Think sort of 90s, maybe a bit obscure. Maybe you've heard. Th- Best sellers. Yeah, so it's the fastest selling debut album before the Arctic Monkeys came along. I, 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 I've,
1: and I thought the first question was going to be the easiest, and I already want to phone a friend.
0: Oh, it gets harder. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it is the weekly rock hard quiz. I wouldn't have a no clue. In the 90s, there's so many bands out there.
0: Think of one. Find one of think, think,
1: think of one. Ah, uh, oh gosh. Um,
0: 90s, 90s, 90s. You might say Oasis. I'm just coming up a blank. You might say Oasis. Well, then say Blur, then. It's not Blur or Oasis, though Oasis do figure in this answer. It was actually Elastica elastica do you remember elastica no i don't know I does anybody on. remember elastica well apparently their self-titled debut was released in 1995 and was the fastest selling debut since definitely maybe by oasis the year yeah. before so the 90s was was an absolute record-breaking decade um it hit number one and by the end of 95 it had sold approximately one million copies worldwide who'd wow. have thought that yeah
1: world best kept secret
0: yeah, indeed indeed or is the world's Best-kept secret, actually, this fact, which is coming up in question two. Uh, this week, a top American company released the first new model of an iconic range of products in four years, updating it for 2019 and keeping a concept. It had been running since 2001 alive. Name the product. What was it? Oh, this is going to be really hard. Not this really isn't a best-kept secret because it's yeah, all no. over the news. If you've read your is business it? news, your Bloombergs... You know,
1: no, I'm not going to know this one either unless it's like it's a the car. iPod. It's John. the iPod.
0: Apple has updated its iPod Touch range after four years of doing nothing. Uh, it's killing off its other iPod designs and yep. adding processing power and extra capacity to its remaining offering. Uh, now that struck me as a bold move, considering actually we all are glued to our phones all the time. I yeah. am. Are you? Are you glued yeah. to your phone. No, all the time?
1: not too badly actually. Okay, you, you but like I, I, I would be glued, glued to my
0: iPod more than to my phone. Have you got kids? Yeah, uh, adults. Okay, Same thing. well, for anyone with with young children, uh, this is quite important, because one industry commentator has said that this was a savvy move by Apple, because it's allowing parents to uh, get their kids to access the world of devices without giving them full control over a phone. Okay, so they've potentially tapped into a bit of a niche market. Whether that niche market will provide them anything like the huge revenue that iPhones have uh, remains to be seen, and probably won't be the case. But, yes, it's the iPod.
1: I guess that means we also need to change all the other devices that used to connect to our old iPods as we go forward. That would be correct. But,
0: you know, plus change.
1: Can he he move by Apple?
0: Indeed. Question three. Charles, do you remember the 1980s? Yes. Cast your mind back to the 10th of January 1985.
1: I remember it well. (laughs) Well
0: Well-known millionaire Sir Clive Sinclair is unveiling a product at a glitzy reception that he believes will transform road use. Do you know what I'm referring to here? X5? It's the Sinclair C five. C five. It's the C five. Close, close. Uh, which, I can picture
1: it, my little three wheeler, white, yes, very close to the ground. Yes. With uh, a funny bearded chap driving it around, which it was Clive Sinclair, a
0: funny ginger bearded chap. Yeah. But not that there's anything wrong with that. I've got one myself. Um, it was a flop. Yes. Uh, it was a uh, a battery enabled pedal scooter. Uh, however, unfortunately, it became one of the greatest marketing bonds of post-war British industry. Uh, After so much promise, the British motoring industry completely panned it. And having originally been intended to appeal to car drivers and cyclists alike, it eventually appealed to neither. But, Charles, the question is, of the 14,000 C5s that were manufactured, Mm -hmm. how many were actually sold before the company went into receivership? Was it 4,000,
1: 5,000, or 6,000? I'd say 4.
0: It's actually 5,000, so just under half. Yeah. Uh, That said... Though it was a flop, the C5 has become something of a collectible item for those that care, and according to a search of eBay this morning, done by me this morning, there does seem to be a healthy market for replacement and refurbished parts, though sadly I could not find a working model for sale. Which shows that the owners of this prized British failure do not want to offload such an iconically crap asset. I thought it was quite a well-written line. Yeah, sure, yeah. Round of applause to me. Uh, Question four. (laughs) We're getting through this very quickly. Um, If you remember the Sinclair C5, you may also remember the battle between VHS and Betamax. Does that ring a bell?
1: That rings a bell, yeah.
0: Now, VHS won that battle, Mm -hmm. uh, only to be kicked into the long grass years later by DVDs and, of course, eventually Netflix. But when was Betamax first sold as a product?
1: Betamax, okay think 70s yeah 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 so this is probably going to be 78 to 79
0: it was actually 1975 75 that early sony started selling betamax in 1975 while rival started releasing vhs uh betamax was actually a proprietary product so it was an exclusively sony idea yeah uh, which you would think would be brilliant because it was exclusive however vhs won out because it was just so ubiquitous uh, think of it as the tiger tank to the Soviet T-34, for those of you that care about history. And I know, Tony Tony Stenning, if you're listening to this, I know you care about history. So think about that analogy and what I might be getting at there. A technically superior product outgunned by mass production. Yeah. yeah. Question five, the final question. This is the best question. I was so excited to when I, when I found this. Uh, I found an article from the New York Times this morning from November the 19th, 1988, Charles, which quotes the following outcome from people who tried... A a new product in Tucson, Arizona. It tastes like burning plastic, said Jan Trulock, an administrative assistant at the Pima County Superior Court in Tucson, who tried it. We have three redacted in my house. We all tried them and ended up throwing them in the sink. We said, you've got to be kidding. People who tried the redacted reported a variety of disagreeable traits in the redacted, which is also facing medical review at both state and federal levels. But what were they talking about? (laughs) It was a product release that went wrong at uh, what that you eat. Uh, Are there any clues? Think something that's unhealthy, really unhealthy. Really unhealthy. Yeah, Like everyone knows this is unhealthy. Think something that's not big, it's not clever, but we've all done it at parties when we've had too much to drink.
1: well, that, that kind of takes me down substances, but I'm not well, sure that we really would. It's smoking. Smoking. This yeah. was
0: the toughest question in the quiz. I must admit, I was but those, I mean, everybody
1: this. smoked back in the 1980s. Absolutely, they did,
0: time. which made the companies think, well, we could feed them thing." but it was yeah. not so.
1: Was it mental cigarettes or something?
0: It was smokeless cigarettes. Smokeless I could not cigarette. believe this. It was the smokeless cigarettes released by R.J. Reynolds, the tobacco company. And this is quite interesting. It worked by heating and aerosolizing. didn't even know that was a word, tobacco flavour, and was intended to reduce the unhealthy side effects associated with smoking fags. Yeah. According to F. Ross Johnson, the businessman involved, however, it tastes, and this is a quote, it tastes Mm -hmm. like shit and smells like a fart. He further stated that we spent $350 million and we ended up with a turd with a tip. Um, The mechanism sounds awfully familiar to e-cigarettes, doesn't it? Which just goes to show that not all new ideas are really that new. Which is an interesting segue to our topic today, Tony, which is about... The idea of equity release is a new idea, is it an old idea? Um, Thank you for participating in the quiz. It was a stellar trip down memory lane, I hope you'll agree. A pointless factual insight. (laughs) 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 Moving on to matters more useful, however, we are here to discuss equity release. So just as a starter for 10, tell me the basics of what equity release is, because this is about unlocking money from someone's property, isn't it?
1: Yeah. So... so Actually, release is effectively a loan. It comes in it, – it, it has changed as a product over the, the past few years. It mm. used to be the case that somebody would give up uh, a certain proportion of their property, normally up to about a quarter or a third. Mm. Um, they would receive cash, and they would pay interest on that money until the point in time that they sold the property. Mm. And the roll-up of that cash often meant that there was – depending on when they took the product out, there was very little left at the end. And in some of the original products – Some people even went into negative equity. But this this market has now changed considerably. Mm. So there are two basic equity products. Yes, there are. Um, So the the first one is uh, a lifetime mortgage. Mm. So the concept of that is broadly the same. Somebody will give you a lump sum based on the value of your house. You can do with that whatever you wish. um, And then the interest starts rolling up on that until the point in time you sell the product. that has changed slightly as well, because you can now have the option of taking out the lifetime mortgage, but paying back the interest like a normal mortgage, so mm. the interest doesn't roll up yeah. um, until such point in time as you feel that you don't want to pay the interest anymore, at which yeah. point it starts rolling up. Yeah. So that that's... Um, a more flexible arrangement and it also means that you are you've got that mortgage facility in place for life at the point in time you've, you've bought into that yeah um and indeed we're seeing quite a lot of people from their mid 50s taking on lifetime mortgages and just locking into those products now but paying the interest mm. and also the rates of interest have come down quite a lot over the past few years so that's sure. again that makes them quite attractive mm. then there's also revision plans mm. um but only one percent or thereabouts of the um equity release market actually take these up so basically they outright buy a small segment of your house they give you the cash for it but there isn't any of the roll-up of interest and they'll get that money back at the point in time that you sell it
0: is this the living room where you're like we don't want the living room you can have it or is it not that simple Uh, yeah
1: yeah, i think it'll just be a percentage of their property rather than just giving up a room (laughs) um so those are the two main products but then What's recently come out is RIOs, which sounds really, really grand. Mm-hmm. So retirement interest-only mortgages. Uh, I think one of the big building societies was one of the first uh, providers to come out and launch those last year. And the idea is that this is a interest-only mortgage yeah. pretty much for your whole lifetime. Yeah. So it's it's quite well suited to those people who've got the ability or they've got the income to pay the interest going forward. Sure. But th- this is all about income and people's ability to um, to either retire comfortably mm. or to release some of the cash that's or, or the equity value that's held in their properties.
0: That's very interesting that you say that only 1% is that sort of latter category. Yeah. Do we have any sense at the moment of how pop- popular equity release is among the general population? Because it doesn't seem to me to have gone entirely mainstream, though there is quite a lot of talk about it in the press.
1: Yeah, so we, we did some research on this uh Quite recently. So, we interviewed a thousand people mm-hmm. and we asked them on their views on equity release. Uh, one of the things that was really interesting is that people have strong views about equity release, they don't actually understand what it is and what the product is. Interesting. So, so we asked those thousand people 13 basic questions about the product, and typically, they could only get three true or false questions right so we weren't making it difficult for them
0: it wasn't a rock hard quiz it, it
1: was it was <laughs> incredible it was incredibly simple okay. um, but they couldn't even answer that but what there is is there's there's quite a stigma that's still attached with the product as was mm. so people are very nervous about going into equity release so again the research pointed towards something like six percent of people being prepared to use it as a product right I, I Personally, don't believe that that uh, stigma will remain at the point in time they find themselves short of cash, mm. and they start looking at different options. An equity release will present itself as one of those. And what I is the
0: stigma that they're be, that they're in debt, and that that's sort of socially social? In part, unacceptable. that it's debt,
1: but also because it wasn't a great product. The interest rate was very high a number of years ago, and a few people ended up in negative re- in in negative uh, equity. Mm. So there was a debt to be paid at the point in time that a parent or a grandparent sure.
0: died. Um, do you have any sense uh, digging into that about how popular it is among advisors? Because I'll say at this point, we've done some very unscientific polling on this using Twitter. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to ask you first: Do you have any sense of, you know, how how commonly recommended this is as a as a product, an income strategy, by a financial so, advisors?
1: So I could certainly. So, so that in itself is an interesting point. So financial advisors. Mm. Uh, typically won't talk to you about equity release. They will only talk to you about your investments. It's mortgage brokers yeah. who will talk to you about equity release. Mm. So you end up having a conversation with a mortgage broker only about the equity release component and not about what you're going to do with the cash, how you might invest it. If you're looking for an income, how that income yeah. might be given to you. Um, so there's there's a disconnect between the, the conversations you would have with your mortgage broker and the conversations you have with your financial advisors. Yeah. And indeed, one of the challenges we have is that it is not a holistic conversation. Yeah. So for the people who are going to get equity release, they're not going to get the advice on how they should wisely use that money yeah. if they're seeking an income. What return. their goals
0: are or what they'd like to do.
1: Yeah, they'd need separately to go to a financial advisor. Mm. And also, I believe that as of recently, there was only somewhere in the region of 400 mortgage brokers who had the qualification and the permission to provide advice. Mm. Um, which is far too small a number for the potential numbers of people who are going to be seeking advice going forwards yeah so I think we as an industry needs to do a lot more to bring more uh, advisors into providing yeah. mortgage equity, equity release advice going forward.
0: That's very interesting for two points. First of all, because I saw an ad for a company which will remain unnamed but begins with the word sun and ends with the word life, uh, where they were sort of saying to their customers via the, via the medium of Carol Vorderman, who was fronting their campaign, um, that their customers uh, could have a, a session with an advisor, mm-hmm. uh, and it wasn't stipulated what kind of advisor that was. So I thought it was interesting that it kind of there was a little bit of murkiness there that maybe customers would end up with something that they didn't expect or weren't entirely clear on in terms of what the service being provided to them was. Um, but also secondly, because I think your answer to that question uh, conveniently and fascinatingly ties in with the results of our very unscientific polling. So we asked IFAs on Twitter, that we said, we're trying to gauge the popularity of equity release as an income solution for a podcast. Uh, How often have you recommended it to your clients in the last two years? And 9% said regularly. Mm -hmm. Uh, 9% said occasionally. 18% said just once or twice. Um, Because I wanted to get the difference between, you know, regular, occasionally, and just once or twice to sort of on a, discretional level. Uh, a discretionary level, and 63% said never. Um, now, I should say at this point that there were only 65 people taking part in the quiz. But I thought it was an interesting snapshot that ties in quite neatly with perhaps with your conclusions there. Absolutely. Is it time for the conversation there to change, actually? Do IFAs need to get involved more in the equity release market, even if it is to advise people not to do it? Because that's a value.
1: Yeah, I I think what would work very well is if the IFAs had their own uh, kind of mortgage broking facility in house, Mm. and then tied those two conversations together with the client. Yeah. So that it's it's holistic and it's looking at you know because the the financial advisor will have a very good sense in terms of their objectives, how much income they're going to get, what their retirement uh, outcomes look like, and can then advise them in terms of what sort of uh, income they might want to try and release from their property, the impact of that, whether or not it's going to make enough of a short, make up the shortfall. Um, but they, they should be driving that conversation really. And I think in too many cases, it's, it's individuals who are kind of making those decisions themselves, because clearly it's not coming from the financial advisory community at the moment. Mm. But also it's, it's a massively growing market. So last year um, there was something just shy of £4 billion pounds worth of equity release cash was made available to the public who released this out of their properties. Wow. Uh, in the first quarter of this year alone, it was just shy of a £1 billion pounds again. Okay. And, uh, you know, very, very reliable sources like the Equity Release Council and the FT estimate that this year we're probably looking at about £5 billion pounds being released. Mm. But this is only... And I think personally this is at a very early stage because the people who are in retirement today are fairly well off compared yeah. to generations that are going to be facing retirement in the not too distant future mm. so they have less of a need to tap into to the wealth within their properties yeah. but certainly the, the generations who are kind of 50 and younger but certainly you know 50 to 65s there are 10 and a half million people at that age group mm. we think seven and a half have undersaved for retirement and just to give you a sense of scale of how bad it is, mm. um, even before well before auto-enrollment, um, at the point in time that defined contribution pensions were starting in the 1995s, kind of mid-1990s, mm. only 30% of people in the private sector were saving into a retirement policy mm. at any one point in time. So if you if you kind of imagine that... that lack of saving building up and sitting in that generation of yeah. fifty to sixty five year olds, there's there's about two thirds of them have undersaved. Yeah. For the vast majority of them, the only other asset they have is their house. So that's where they're going to be looking. So yeah. I can see the whole equity release demand really taking off in an enormous way that's in the next ten, fifteen years.
0: Yeah. And it ties in actually neatly uh, with um some of the other podcasts we've done on intergenerational issues, because one of the, you know, there's a huge sort of uh, tabloid debate at the moment about millennials and snowflakes versus, the, the, you know, the rich baby boomers. But one of the things that was really obvious from the podcast I did last year about intergenerational issues was that Gen X are a really squeezed generation. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got property, but they haven't saved enough, perhaps. They've only got a little bit of DB, perhaps, that's been cut off during their accru- period of accrual. Uh, and they've gone into dc so and they've got all sorts of other pressures like the aging population which means their parents are in care homes that they've got to fund their kids are going to university more than ever mm-hmm. so the that group of people are really going to be looking for a lot of perhaps different income solutions to fund their way through their own longer life aren't they
1: so i i think they've got two trump cards to play with and you're, you're absolutely right these are a very squeezed generation and, and um People don't often look at them. They, they often mm-hmm. look at the younger generation, say they're yeah. having a really, really hard time. But actually, yeah. you know, you're, you're, you're banging on the money of Generation X. So their parents are 20, 25 years older than they are. Mm-hmm. And that's the group in their kind of 70s and 80s yeah. who, as as a generation, the 70 to 80-year-olds have got 80% home uh, well, they've all they've got its home ownership, so they have equity in their properties So this is really across the whole of society. It's not just limited to rich people mm. albeit there's quite a big imbalance between the wealth of the, the, um, the better-off uh, Consumers rather than the less well-off people mm. but essentially mm. those people in their 70s and 80s the, their natural life expectancy is is not going to be much longer Mm. Um, So we're expecting a large number of those to start uh, reaching the end of their 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 life expectancy as they do so They're going to release Huge quantity of of cash. So we we have a figure. I think it's about 1.7 trillion pounds is tied up in the people who are aged 60 and above So a good chunk of that is going to sit with the people who are kind of 75 and above so a large release, a tsunami of cash could potentially come down and benefit Generation X. Mm. That will probably be spent by Generation X on their own retirement. And Generation X might also then dip into their own property through equity release as another mechanism to further boost uh, their retirement needs. And again, the research that we did was pointing to the, the... So of the people that we surveyed, they thought that their shortfall in retirement was going to be about eleven and a half thousand pounds per year Mm. which is enormous Mm. so even if you had 150 grand released from your property you'd probably only get five thousand pounds a year from that
0: yeah if you were lucky
1: enough so you yeah you for a lot of these people they need to be able to release Two hundred and fifty to 350,000 pounds, which mm. they probably don't have sitting in their property.
0: I was going to ask you, are there hypothetical future scenarios where you get people of that generation going to their mortgage broker or their equity release person saying, Oh, I didn't know I could only release 150k, I need the full value of my property, and they're saying, oh, Which no they won't way. give them. Which they won't give them. No, no. Interesting, interesting. Um, interesting to hear that it's uh, perhaps an increasingly popular product. Um, who are the market entrants here I remember very early on in my career as a journalist um that I wrote a story about equity release having no real experience of sort of um, writing about it, about it as a mechanism or a problem a, um, a problem that was a sort of Freudian slip there <laughs> as a product um and I wrote ra- it was uh, LNG I think it was legal in general that we're entering the equity release market and yep. I had this sort of long conversation where they were trying to explain desperately what it actually was um how many people are entering this market? Are there lots of providers, and what are they generally? Are they insurers? or
1: So, so it, it, interestingly, the sorts of firms that are very well aligned are those businesses who've got annuities. Mm. So the challenge of equity release is that the money that's being made available might have to be loaned out to the the homeowner for 20, 30, 40 years. Mm, yeah. um, so typically that's come from from annuities mm. which again it's a pot of money that's going to be paying out for similar lengths of time yeah so that's why uh, lng it was and aviva in fact sort of two big names that are in that space and also that's why just uh, merged with an annuity company partnership to fund their ongoing expansion mm. so I think it's it's it is it will continue to be the organisations that have access to that very long term cash yeah. but pension freedoms created a bit of an issue for us mm. because they've now encouraged the vast majority of people to no longer go and take up annuities but rather go down into drawdown products so what one of the challenges I think I think faces the industry is how are they going to find the potentially very significant sums required for a growing demand for equity release, mm. given that annuities is going into decline, mm. as the demand for long-term uh, cash mm. is increasing significantly.
0: See, that's interesting because I saw a story. I think it was, I think it was this year. It was basically saying that the there was an unexpected dip in life expectancy, which which had made some of the insurers a lot of money because their predictions about how long people would live. Policy holders with annuities were sort of um, incorrect, and yep. they they were sort of making money off the back of it. But that seems like a relatively perilous situation for them to be in, actually, if they can't so, feed that that demand at the supply end.
1: So, so, so from the um, for the annuity providers, having something such as an equity release product works very well because they've in some instances a constant stream of the. Uh, interest coming in mm. uh, in other instances it's more a play of they'll get a big chunk of money at a point in time they'll yeah. go in and refresh the pot um, but yeah I, I, I don't think as an industry we've worked out how we're going to crack this yet because the fund management industry and the general retirement industry do not have the ability to put cash aside for such a long period of time mm. they might have to develop some specialist products and I was going to ask that. you about
0: this because uh, obviously businesses offering this want to be profitable. Yeah. Um. And if we're in a if we're in a stage or a phase that is very uh, protracted, where the money's out there but it's not coming back coming back in, I mean, is there any evidence that it's actually profitable for the providers at the moment, or is that a waiting game?
1: It it, it so. F- where there where, is there, where there's a regular income stream coming in from the interest payments, yeah. yes, that all works fine. It's just where the money's locked up for a long period of time yeah. that will become an issue.
0: Mm. So, if you're an actuary listening to this and you're having sleepless nights over your predictions, well, we feel for you. Um, talk to me about risks. What are the risks of equity release? I mean, quite simply, you know, you could be in equity, negative equity. I know, I know, we've talked about that. But what are the other, what are the other risks?
1: So, I, I, I guess the key one is if you just, dis- well, one, you made a bad decision. In terms of you've you've entered into an equity release deal, and then you find for whatever fortunate reason you no longer need it, mm. it's pretty expensive to unwind from it. Mm. Um, the other big risk is interest rates can go up. Mm. We we've all got very used to an environment where it's been half a percent for eight nine years now. Or well, three quarters of a percent quite recently. But that's, I know I have. But but that is <laughs> nothing. Yeah. Um, and as a slight tangent, I think that is one of the things that has, and this is my personal belief, that's one of the things that's driven up house prices because typically we all have a capacity and, and an appetite to pay somewhere between a quarter and a third of our income mm. as either rent or on a mortgage. Mm. And as, the, the, as our ability to borrow through decreasing interest rates went up, yeah. so did house prices yeah. and if you look at a graph of the two things there's this amazing correlation between them yeah. so when people are talking about the fact that house prices are now much higher multiples than they were so I've looked at the the, the, the stats so back in the 1970s income to house prices a multiple of about four that went up in the 1980s We had a bit of a housing boom in the 1980s went up yeah. to about five um, 1990s it came back down to about four Mm. and then it was really from the 2000s that we've seen to accelerate enormously uh, as have the house prices themselves so suddenly we find ourselves in different parts of the country anywhere between six and twelve and and that's that that in my view is the thing that's making it incredibly difficult for Uh, for young people to get into the housing right. ladder so
0: you don't think it's just a supply side problem then, in terms of not building enough mm. there
1: is that as well yeah, yeah. so so okay. on the supply side we've needed i think it's about t- between 230 and 250 thousand new homes every year yeah. but for the last 25 years we've only built a hundred thousand every year mm. so i think we're about two and a half million homes short in the country at the moment mm. um so that there is there is that factor but if the affordability side um, through the interest rates, I think, I think is the real driving force. What would be very interesting is is to see if there were to be another economic downturn or if things continue to go very well but interest rates went back up, mm. what impact would that have on people? Because interest rates, and everybody's got the use of them being so low, if yeah. it went from three-quarters of a percent to two percent, yeah. Most households would really struggle yeah, really, really just, pay just to pay their mortgage. And what's going to happen? That's going to drive down prices because people won't have the capacity to borrow anymore.
0: Yeah, interesting. You're the first person to come on this podcast and talk about house prices and not make me want to cry. Good, uh, good. <laughs> perhaps I'm betraying my own situation there. Um, talk to me about the work that has done on equity release. Is it TISA or Tizer? I don't know uh,
1: we 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 call it Tizer. You're going for TISA. Um oh. I, I think some people call it teaser, but it, it, it well, is. We, we're quite happy with both.
0: Okay, you heard it from the horse's mouth. It's TISA, people. It's TISA. It's TISA. Yeah. So uh, where we're coming
1: at it, f- we're, we're coming at this from the perspective of a concern that people haven't really saved enough for retirement, and as I was mentioning earlier, with such a large number of people having not saved enough money mm. they're going to have to find this from somewhere else yeah um what we're also very interested in is because i think we've kind of covered that the, the why we focused on the retirement under saving and where they're going to look to yeah. but we're also very interested in the whole intergenerational piece because there's a wonderful opportunity here to do something really fantastic for the future generations mm. as opposed to the most natural um, so the way it works today our grandparents or at least so, so your grandparents my pa- my parents they will come to their natural end my parents would naturally give to me mm. and my my siblings the money that's available mm. what they don't think about is what how much more good that could do by skipping a generation yeah so i was saying earlier that that There's kind of two trump cards for the X generation X. Mm. So when their parents go and they can leave some money for them, even if they left them, you know, a hundred thousand pounds, that's only going to increase somebody's retirement income by three to four thousand pounds a year. Mm. Okay, they might be very desperate for that, that might not be so desperate for it. But if you put ten thousand into each of the grandchildren's accounts and let that grow for 40 or 50 years, that can grow into a serious amount of money mm. and would actually provide a retirement income for them, probably sufficient, that with a state pension, that they wouldn't need to save for their pension in any other way. Mm. But we're not thinking in those terms. Um, and I think another great example is if, if people have the ability, when a child is born, to put aside only 2,000 pounds, and then it just sits there for 70 years, that will basically give the child a very, very comfortable retirement pot and an income in today's money, probably in the region of forty to fifty thousand pounds a year. Mm. So two thousand pounds of today's money left for f- seventy years will give you forty to fifty grand in today's money. Yeah. if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely, it does, and it's uh, this all feels very close home. You know, I've been um, sadly my grandparents are no longer with me, but uh, I have been the recipient of said monies. Uh, Good. Uh, well. <laughs> You know, you might not be saying that if you saw what I did with it. Um, There's now sort of seven more guitars in my bedroom than there were before. Um, Maybe I should have invested more of it, but I didn't. Um, But that's interesting. Uh, There's a lot of negativity about, you know, young people and receiving those kinds of sums. And I think um, I was seeing, uh, I saw just the other day on the, I think it was the Daily Telegraph, there was an article about, you know, a guy who was basically saying, well, to his kids, get ready, I ain't giving you nothing. And some high-profile celebrities have said the same thing. I think it was Sting that said that he wasn't going to give his kids a single penny of his uh, fortune because he was going to spend the whole lot.
1: So he's a ski. (laughs) Spend the kids' inheritance.
0: Yeah, indeed. But it's interesting to hear you you say that that's possibly not the best approach.
1: Well, I, th- I I think for for those people who are particularly well off and they want to encourage their children to do something with their own lives rather than just depend upon them, that's probably a very good idea. Mm. Um, but but for the vast majority of the population, it, helping your kids can make an enormous difference. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, out of all of the people who've taken out equity release products, um, sorry, not all the people who've taken out equity release products, I think the bank of mum and dad, or it could be the bank of grandma and grandpa, Yeah. Um, 1.1 million families have helped their kids get onto the housing ladder, yeah. I think, in the last 10 years. Yeah. Uh, and and that, that's the source of things that we ought to be thinking about. And one of, one of my real concerns is that all of this, this wealth that currently exists with these 70s, plus year olds a lot of them might be encouraged to go down the equity release route to enhance their lifestyle some of them will need it because they want to stay at home they want to do home improvements put in wheelchair ramps all that sort of stuff just make it livable for the next 20 years or 15 to 20 years um but others are just going to spend it on cruises and conservatories and cars and stuff that they really don't need Mm. um and they ought to be thinking a lot more about the consequences of some of these decisions you know is it better that they go for a really really good cruise or can they sort out you know two of their grandchildren's pensions yeah. for life yeah. you know job done you don't need to worry about water enrollment or anything else
0: yeah and that's peace of mind and all of itself
1: and and those those are the conversations that are just not being had by people in, in part um you know we were talking about financial advisors only six percent of people have a financial advisor mm. or or go to a financial advisor. That means there's 94% of people yeah. who are just having conversations with family or their friends down the pubs and trying to work out yeah. what they should do financially modelling through based based on virtually no information. I, I think there's there's a real need for us as a nation to get far savvier in our understanding of money and the way that we, we treat money and the way we use it. So it. It can be a real asset and a real opportunity for us mm. if we're just a little bit smarter with it.
0: Mm. Um, Interesting segue into back into the topic of advice. Um, I'm going to quote something back to you. Uh, You said, I can't remember exactly when this was, but your report integrity release, you said it has highlighted the need to provide holistic advice to consumers on what their retirement fund really entails and how we can help them to generate an income that can sustain that anticipated lifestyle. The government and industry need to be aware of the gap and expectation for consumers and consequently provide them with the tools to measure and realise the individual's assets and income so that sufficient plans can be put into place. Now, I actually couldn't find when that report was from. I presume a couple of Couple of years ago, perhaps. yeah, it was a couple of but years ago. But it strikes old. me, nothing's it, it, really changed on that one.
1: Correct. Yeah. So, so the the challenge that we see at the moment is, at, at a very basic level, kids just aren't even coming out of school mm. with a fundamental understanding of the, the, the basics of how to manage your money. Mm. Um, we we've actually got a program running which is designed to help primary school children because that's the age at which they form their attitudes to lots of different things, including money, to kind of prepare them for secondary school. The secondary schools have now got on the curriculum mm. some very basic financial education, but it's not that much. So at least some future generations might come out with slightly more knowledge than the current generations. So the, cur- the current generations have, the, f- I think the mathematical understanding of a seven or eight-year-old and the financial capability that goes with that. So pe- people just don't have the skills right now. So we think the government should do a lot more to in- encourage and educate and help people engage their money. Mm. There's a new... There are there is a government body called the Money and Pension Service. Yeah. We're really strong advocates of, of what they do. They've been combined with the Money Advice Service and the Pensions Advisory Service. Yeah. They have been tasked with raising the financial capability of consumers in the UK. And they've also been tasked with working with financial services. And I think that's a really important link because the FCA Their own research has pointed to 51 million adults out there, and I quoted 6% of them are seeking uh, financial advice. We think there's somewhere in the region of 43 to 45 million people who are muddling through. And realistically, whilst uh, the Money and Pension Service maps can make some great inroads in, in terms of helping those people, They can't do that by themselves Mm. and financial services already provide an enormous amount of support not not in the guise of financial advisors but in all the call centers and all the other support staff so if you go into a building society or a bank and you ask for some help you'll get some basic guidance from people yeah and then they'll slowly point you to more and better qualified individuals, according to the complexity of, of the subject you want to talk to them about. Yeah. And ultimately, you might end up speaking to an advisor. Yeah. Um, but there are there are tens of thousands of people out there today that can help you in that way. But what they're not allowed to do is in financial services, especially the regulated firms, there's a very thin line between what is guidance, so giving you information, and what is advice. Mm. Um, that that's critical because in guidance we're not allowed to personalize the information for you yeah. so the 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 challenge that that consumers currently have today is even if they were to go to maps and look at the information that's available to them it's not personalized to them mm. so it's it's not coming at it from the consumer perspective of i've got a particular problem you know can i go through an algorithm that will help me to decide if i should just stay in cash or should I think about an investment or should I think about equity release? And the, the more that we can do to have some really basic, it's not quite rules of thumb, but, but that sort of idea, some, some really basic um, kind of algorithms that people can go through mm. would help them enormously mm. and make it simple because p- people, one, they don't know the questions to ask mm. They, they are operating at a massively simple level and we can't complicate it for them, mm. but also because it won't be advice, they need to make a decision at the end of it. Yeah. So we need to make it really accessible and very simple for them to understand. Mm. So we would love, we, we think that the regulation actually needs to change so that we can do a lot more on the personalization side. Um, so a, a very good example of, of just how crazy it is right now, um, robo-advice is something that everybody's very familiar with mm-hmm. um, there's there are some great propositions out there mm. one of the um one of the ties members large banking organization has made robo-advice available in the branches you go in you look at a pad it takes you through an algorithm it filters people out and it's it's designed for people who've got high cash balances should they be doing something else with the money um, a lot, the filtering process typically knocks out a lot of people and suggests they just stay in cash for uh, reasons of their risk appetite or um, mm. or just it's an inappropriate investment for them to make. And that's all advice. And they pay a small amount of money, you know, tick in the box. Great. The the organization who provided that advice, if they subsequently change, say, say the, the consumer went and bought a unit trust from one of the big fund manager houses. Mm-hmm. If they change the fund manager... If they change the unit trust because they think it, there's a better solution for the clients according to that type of advice, they can't go back to the original customers who received the advice and say, "We've now changed the provider, or we've changed the fund, or both. We think you ought to reconsider your position." Mm. They can't approach them because that's advice.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: So that that that's yeah. and the, and also the the FCA as it is today is very much. Um, focused on detriment to consumers where they've received advice as opposed to detriment where they haven't received advice yes and then back back to that robo advice yes. example so again one of the banks did a lot of research they put a large number of people through advice filtered them out same question should you be in cash should it be investments I think they filtered out about 90% of people they said it was inappropriate for them to come out of cash and go into an investment Mm. Um they then took the similar t- type of group so similar uh, segment and put them through a, a self-directed process the same sorts of questions same mm. sorts of filters but in this instance 90% of the people ended up going into the investment
0: mm.
1: because they weren't they weren't able to make an appropriate decision by themselves so i think it's really really important that Mm. that we make guidance a lot more as i say accessible a lot easier for consumers to follow and to personalize it so they can make decisions that are appropriate for them Mm. Um, but i think the fca needs time to take a a significant review um, to look at that
0: it's interesting he he mentioned maps uh, I'm going to ask you a loaded question because I've been trying to get an interview with the chief executive of MAPS, one Hector Yeah. Uh, for many, many months. He's, he's the chair, yeah. He's the chair. Yep. Apologies, he's the chair. Um, and it's been a no every time. And he started to, he did some press. So I I wanted to ask you, as soon as I had the opportunity, do you think it would be a good idea if Hector Sans came into this studio and explained how uh, MAPS is going to try and start to chip away at that iceberg of financial disengagement among consumers? Because obviously that's a huge, huge task. And, you know, as a straight-talking journalist, I know that it's not going to happen overnight, but it would be great to ask him some questions about it. So would you endorse some kind of session where he could come in and answer some questions and you know put the record straight about what maps is actually going to do strategy was So
1: so i i I certainly think it would be a great idea for Sir hector to come along and and have the opportunity to kind of explain to a broader audience what what they're doing at maps Mm. um i have had some insights as as to kind of their current approach Mm. so Having been formed as a new organisation, so the single financial guidance body last October. Yeah. um, So, so Hector was was um, put in place, and also the new chief exec John Govett were put in place. Yes. And they both spent a period of time until the beginning of this year, really, looking at kind of the current structure and thinking about how they would transform the uh, money advisers and TPA's into something new. Mm. They've kicked off. as of the beginning, well, earlier this year, but only you know, relatively recently, some weeks ago, rather than some months ago, a listening process. Mm. So they're going to create a strategy for the new organisation, which they will make public at the end of this year. They're wow. going through a okay. big um, listening exercise. So. It's going out to industry, it's going out to all the different partners they've been working with, mm. it's speaking to charities. There's a very broad audience that they have in terms of all the touch points. Uh, I've attended two of those sessions myself. I, I have to say hats off to them. I think they are um, far more ambitious than, than the previous uh, executive team. Mm. Uh, I think they have a much greater ap- appetite to address the opportunities that are available to them and really helping consumers. Um, they also understand some of the challenges such as pre- previously the, um, the activity that was set for Maz and was all was all activity based. You know, how many people can mm. you give yeah. um, guidance to? Yeah. And that's Agreed. not the same as did you provide a service yeah. that delivered the outcomes yes. that really helped consumers?
0: PensionWise was really reliant in its marketing on those sorts of statistics. Because C- it was about reach, right? You know, they were saying, you know, what was the statistic? Statistic. It was like, you know, 90% of people have had a good experience pension-wise. But that's irrelevant if you've only seen three people, you know. It's, and uh, you and know, it doesn't tell context. you,
1: did, did they end up in a solution which then delivered the additional retirement income they yeah, were looking yeah. for? Or There's have no they saved there, more? Yeah. So I, 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 I think both Hector and John are really on that, and that, that's massively encouraging. So it could well be, and if I was in Hector's shoes, I'd probably be waiting mm. until I had something more definitive that I could tell you, mm. and then want to sing from all the rooftops and say, this is our plan, this is what we're going to do, yeah. this is how we're going to do it. Um, so I think he's probably just keeping his powder dry until he's in a better position to how talk.
0: interesting. Well, so Hector, if you're listening to this, A loving invite for whenever you're ready to come in. Please come and see me after class. Um, Brilliant. Thank you for that, Charles. uh, And thank you for joining me. You have achieved, I think, what I hope to achieve in every podcast, but sadly don't, which is some kind of sense of a topic, but within the broader picture of how it all works. um, Fantastic. Which is brilliant. I really, really love that. Um, I am afraid to say, however, that's just about all that we've got time for this week. Suffice to say, if you have enjoyed this week's episode and want to hear more, please do subscribe to the series on iTunes and please, please do leave us a lovely review. We don't bite. in addition, if you have experience of advising clients on equity release, if you're among the few that have, uh, or alternatively, you just have views on the subject that you would like to share, get in touch with us at news at cty.co.uk. We do read everything you write, uh, we do find that very interesting. Um, but apart from that, uh, it's goodbye for now, and thanks for listening. Thanks. <laughs>